According to the Centers for Disease Control, 42% of adults in America are obese, and another 31% of Americans are overweight. This is a problem because obesity is a big risk factor for diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and dementia. Because obesity is a known risk factor for disease, it gets a lot of attention. But obesity is usually a symptom of an underlying metabolic problem. The problem is known as insulin resistance, and it affects up to 88% of American adults. This is important to recognize because you can be thin and still have insulin resistance. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, Dr. Morgan Nolte here, founder of Zivli and the Reshape Your Health podcast. We help you lower insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and better health. In this episode, we're talking about four differences between low-calorie eating and low-insulin eating for weight loss and, more importantly, keeping it off. So why is this conversation important? We believe a lot of the frustration and feelings of failure that are commonly associated with weight loss can be mitigated through a low insulin approach. So many women come to us after being trapped in the weight regain roller coaster. This looks like unintentionally gaining weight, gaining motivation to get it off, doing some sort of short-term diet to lose the weight, regaining the weight, feeling like a failure, then starting the cycle all over again once you regain the motivation to change. How you go about losing weight, whether the low-calorie or low-insulin approach, will determine three things. First, the type of body weight you lose. In other words, are you losing fat or muscle mass? Second, how likely the weight is to stay off due to your new body composition? And third, your weight loss experience in general. So are you miserable, cold, tired, and hungry, or are you satisfied and energetic? This brings us to our first point. Low-calorie diets focus on balancing calories. Low-insulin diets focus on balancing hormones. To appreciate this, let's take a moment to review the role of insulin and other key hormones in maintaining your body set weight. Insulin is a vital hormone secreted by your pancreas. Its primary role is to maintain stable blood sugars. It does this by moving blood sugar out of the bloodstream and into cells. Here, it can be used right away or stored as liver or muscle glycogen for short-term storage or fat tissue for long-term storage. Insulin receptors in your brain regulate total body fat, body fat distribution, eating behavior, and energy metabolism. Your brain, fat tissue, and gut have complex feedback loops that regulate your body weight and fat. While there are many hormones involved in regulating body composition, three important ones are insulin, leptin, and ghrelin. Leptin is a hormone made in your fat cells. It lets your brain know how much fat storage you have. Ghrelin is produced in the gut and signals hunger to the brain. 
leptin suppresses the hunger-stimulating effects of ghrelin. A very oversimplified explanation is the food that you eat stimulates a rise in insulin. A rise in insulin increases fat. A rise in fat increases leptin. Along with other satiety cues, this increase in leptin reduces ghrelin. A reduction in ghrelin reduces hunger, and with less hunger, you don't eat. Not eating for a period of time lowers blood glucose. Lower blood glucose will lower insulin. In this way, insulin, leptin, and ghrelin work together to maintain your body weight and fat. A lifestyle that promotes frequently high levels of insulin will disrupt this feedback loop between insulin, leptin, and ghrelin. As a reminder, chronic stress and sleep deprivation raise cortisol levels, which will raise blood glucose and insulin. Eventually, high levels of hormones will lead to resistance. Resistance means more and more of the hormone is needed to have the same effect. As your cells become more insulin resistant, more insulin is needed to keep blood sugars in a healthy range. More insulin leads to more body fat. More body fat leads to more leptin. High leptin levels over time lead to leptin resistance in the brain. Leptin resistance impairs the signal to lower ghrelin or hunger. Without that reduction in ghrelin, one will keep eating despite having more than enough energy. The increase in eating will further increase insulin and the cycle will continue. But it is possible to stop this cycle and restore insulin and leptin sensitivity by lowering insulin levels. That brings us to our second point. Low calorie eating is often viewed as a short-term diet, whereas low insulin eating is part of a long-term low insulin lifestyle. Living a low insulin lifestyle makes maintaining your weight loss much easier. You just continue to eat in a similar manner as you did to lose the weight. Research consistently shows that low calorie diets are hard to maintain. This means you're eating about 1200 to 1500 calories per day or less every day. Your body has several compensatory mechanisms to drive weight regain using this method. First, it can lead to a decline in physical activity to conserve energy. Second, metabolism slows down immediately and indefinitely. Research has suggested that this slower metabolism following weight loss from a chronic calorie restriction can last for up to six years and perhaps indefinitely. This is why yo-yo diets crash your metabolism and often lead to gaining more weight than you lost. Exercising while losing weight can prevent your metabolism from slowing down. The third mechanism is an increase in your hunger hormone, ghrelin. Elevated ghrelin levels can persist for a year after weight loss. For some, this may result in an increased appetite. It is possible to outsmart and outlast these hormonal mechanisms, but it does require a more specific approach than just reducing calories. The third difference between the low calorie and low insulin approach to weight loss is how we think about calories. Those in the low calorie camp may wrongly assume that all calories are created equally. You may have heard someone say, a calorie is a calorie. While yes, a calorie is a unit of measurement, calories from different foods are not the same, but more on that later. When someone thinks of a low calorie diet, they often aren't thinking so much of quality as they are quantity. They may focus on a high volume diet instead of a nutrient dense diet. This is where people slip into the low fat approach. 
The less fat they eat, the more food they can eat. That's because a gram of fat has nine calories, whereas a gram of starch or sugar, two types of carbohydrates, and protein has four calories per gram. And with fiber, you're absorbing only about two calories per gram. That's why people on a low calorie diet tend to eat more grains, fruits, vegetables, and proteins. These are lower calorie foods, so they can have more of them. They can eat a high volume of food and stay within their calorie range. They tend to avoid high fat foods or get low fat versions to reduce the calories in their food. One problem with this approach is a decrease in satiety or fullness following meals. Other problems that can arise on a low fat diet include dry skin, hair loss, frequent infections, hormone imbalances, and brain fog. Another flaw in simply reducing calories is that you may be under eating protein. Studies have shown that a high protein diet is most effective to preserve lean body mass when losing weight. This means the weight you do lose is more likely to stay off. This is why we encourage you to focus on nutrient quality and quantity. Cereals, pastas, and low fat yogurts may be low in calories, but can still spike insulin and drive fat storage, especially if you're eating five to six mini meals a day. Even though you may be staying in your calorie deficit, you're stimulating your insulin often. Let's compare this to a low insulin view of calories through the lens of weight loss. Different nutrients will cause different mental and physical responses in your body. As mentioned, insulin is your fat creation and storage hormone. You cannot burn fat if your insulin is high. The goal of low insulin eating is to keep insulin low most of the time. When insulin is low, a hormone called glucagon can rise. Glucagon is your fat burning hormone. While fats are often reduced on a low calorie diet, they are usually increased on a low insulin diet. That's because fats have the lowest insulin response of all three macronutrients. Proteins have a moderate response, starches and sugars have the highest, and fiber actually lowers the required insulin response. Calories from different sources also impact your brain and satiety differently. Protein and fat will activate satiety or fullness hormones the most. This helps you stay full and satisfied between meals. Calories from fructose activate hormones that make you feel more hungry. The sweet taste of fructose also activates the reward center in your brain. These are two reasons it's easy to overeat sugar. The reason starches and sugars have the highest insulin response has to do with blood sugar. Following a high carb meal such as pasta, the glucose in the pasta breaks down fast. This causes a blood sugar spike. Your body likes to keep blood sugars stable. That's insulin's job. The pancreas releases insulin to lower blood sugars after a meal. But if you eat foods that don't cause much of a blood sugar response, you will need far less insulin. This helps stop and reverse that cycle of insulin resistance. And needing less insulin, regardless of your weight, is good for your health. But just eating low insulin foods is not going to work for weight loss if you're still exceeding your energy needs. You may see an improvement in your blood pressure, body composition, or blood glucose. But the majority of evidence does support that being in an energy deficit is needed for weight loss. This comes down to three simple rules. If you're in an energy deficit, 
you will start to burn your own body fat for fuel. If you're eating enough to maintain your weight, you will use the food that you eat. And if you're eating more food than you need, then you're going to gain some weight. The types of foods you eat will determine the type of weight you gain. If your excess calories are sugar or alcohol, you will gain fat, especially belly and liver fat. If your excess calories are fat, those are more likely to become subcutaneous fat. If your excess calories are from glucose, a type of carbohydrate, those will become liver or muscle glycogen, and once those stores are full, it will become body fat. If your excess calories are protein and your strength training, you will gain muscle. Extra protein that's not needed will either be excreted as urea or become fat. The third point in this low calorie versus low insulin debate is the number of tools at your disposal for losing weight. When someone is trying to lose weight through calorie restriction alone, they are accidentally closing off options to lose weight that aren't related to food or exercise. With a caloric model of obesity, you have two levers, calories in or calories out. They think if I eat 250 calories less a day and burn 250 calories more per day, I'll lose a pound a week. Anyone who has tried this knows it doesn't work, at least not long-term. Eventually you stop losing weight, and if you return to old habits, you'll regain. With the insulin model of obesity, you have a few more tools at your disposal, more levers to pull on, if you will. Chronic stress, sleep deprivation, and toxin exposure can absolutely contribute to weight gain and insulin resistance. You can reduce carbs all day, but if your demanding job, sleep deprivation, and lack of boundaries is what's keeping your cortisol up, reducing carbs won't help. With those levers in mind, let's discuss one more important lever for weight loss. This brings us to our fourth point in this debate, and that's the value placed on intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is when you go for a period of time, generally at least 12 to 14 hours without eating. Under the caloric model of obesity, it's assumed that when you eat during the day or how many times you eat during the day doesn't matter as long as you stay within your calorie goal. Using the insulin model for weight loss, the evidence is clear that intermittent fasting does help reduce insulin levels. When you're not eating, your insulin is not stimulated. Now the research is clear that calorie restriction with or without intermittent fasting is considered one of the most promising dietary interventions to extend lifespan and health span. This is especially true for adults who are considered overweight or obese. However, continuous reduction of calories is not easy to sustain due to the strong hormonal effects discussed earlier. These were increased ghrelin, reduced physical activity, and a slower metabolic rate. These effects conserve energy, increase appetite, and drive weight regain. Intermittent fasting may be a more feasible way to attain an energy deficit than chronic calorie restriction. One meta-analysis of time-restricted eating protocols demonstrated a 20% reduction in ad libitum calorie intake. This means that they were able or allowed to eat as much as they wanted, but naturally ate less food when they practiced intermittent fasting. And as a bonus, there's hormonal benefits with fasting that you don't get with plain calorie reduction. 
just reducing your calories may not reduce insulin resistance if those calories are coming from high starch and sugar foods that continuously spike insulin. A low carbohydrate diet is more effective, but fasting is really the most effective way to lower your insulin resistance. And if an energy deficit is present over time, lose weight. So going back to the title of this episode, low calorie versus low insulin, which is better for weight loss? It's not either or. Can you guess the answer yet? It's both and. For sustainable weight loss and better health, intermittent fasting combined with a low insulin energy deficit diet that supports satiety and muscle is better than any of the strategies alone. So let's recap. A sustained energy deficit over time is required to lose weight, but you don't have to eat 1200 to 1500 calories every single day to get there. Different types of calories will impact insulin differently. Low insulin foods include healthy fats, protein, and fiber. High insulin foods include things like pasta, sugars, rice, cereals, and many grains. High calorie, healthy fats are low insulin foods, but you still have to watch your portion sizes when eating these and any other food to attain an energy deficit. The weight you lose will be more likely to stay off if you follow a high protein diet and exercise. Intermittent fasting that's appropriate for your life circumstances will help you lose weight no matter what dietary approach you choose. If you need help learning how to eat like this, take our insulin resistance diet starter course link below. If you found this episode helpful, please take a moment to subscribe on YouTube or the podcast. If you're listening on there, thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today to learn more about Zibli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zivli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.